I literally was like, oh, I'm going to film a makeup tutorial. And I have like all these like glitters and shimmers. I'm going to do stardust. And literally I was like, all right, guys, my base is done. Let's go into this. And I do a whole glitter, gorgeous eye. Never hit record. That sucks. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dark Collective Podcast. We are back and I'm not here with Jen today. I'm here with Miss Joy. Hi, Joy. How are you, Red? I, you know, live in the dream. You know, I actually have my hair up because it's warm and sunny San Diego. I'm not frozen like I was in Boston. I finally learned how to use my shark air wrap with my extensions. So I'm I'm getting it. I love that. We're so going to talk about this because I want people to know what I endured. But before we get into that, Joy, tell everybody who you are. Hello. So I am Joy. Um, You can find me as uh, Miss Story Stitcher on both TikTok and Instagram. And I'm one of the members of the Dark Collective. I help out with a lot of things behind the scenes. I'm big into all of our panels that we'll be bringing to you. And then on the side, I'm a big avid cosplayer. So I like to bring my favorite bookish characters to life. Oh my God. And you guys, when I see, when she says cosplay, she cosplayed one of my all time. Wait, can we, can we just talk about the time that I nearly attacked you? Um, (laughs) so if you guys listen to episode one, you know that I was introduced to Joy and her husband in a very eclectic way. Uh, but there's more to that story that we didn't talk about. So again, I, I will say this in every podcast, I'm new to the book world. So like, I'm not used to being around cosplayers. I'm not used to being around people in the bookish community. And everyone is so amazing and loving. And um, But I guess I'm just more loving than most people because I just want to hug everybody. And Joy's not a hugger. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. We, 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 <laughs> we love that about Joy. And the very first time that I saw her in cosplay in person, she literally walks up and I'm like, oh my God. It's, it's Darcy and O'Brien. Oh my God. And she just kind of looked at me like, who are you? (laughs) What was your first initial reaction when I was doing that? Like, I need to know. I, it was just a lot. No, like as a cosplayer, I'm used to people kind of like geeking out and being excited. So like, that wasn't it, but it was just, I don't, I just, I didn't expect with like Zodiac Academy to be that big of a draw for somebody. Um, and then it was just like, I need a picture. And I was like, oh, this is, this is happening. This oh, is happening. Okay. We're doing yeah, this. And it's, it's just because she had the blue hair. She had the whole getup and he had a custom jacket. Like that said, Orion on. And I was just like, oh. and for those of you who've read Zodiac Academy, you understand. Um, but like, I, I just, I loved how dedicated they were to the role and I, it was perfection. Perfection. <laughs> but getting back, she was talking about her shark blow dryer, her flex style. And the funny thing is, is when you guys see the Dark Collective and you hear about us talking about like, oh, we were in Boston. Oh, we did this. We were going to a lot, a lot of conventions this year, but we're always together at some point. But <laughs> Joy made the trek to uh, San Diego, where I live, for me to do her hair. And oh boy, was it an experience. <laughs> I think you still have some trauma. Uh, Definitely. I I think I definitely still have some trauma from that. Um, Why don't you tell them how we figured out, not even figured out when I was like, oh, I could totally do your hair. It was, we were in Boston last time. 
Yeah, we, we were in Boston last time and I was looking at you doing everybody else's hair and then you did Jess's <laughs> hair and she had this really pretty ashy silvery blonde. I was like, I just really want that. And then you're like, well, like I could I could do your hair. You just you'd have to come down to San Diego. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, okay, like yeah, like I I'm down for this. Let's do it. My dream was to always have silver hair and I just never been able to get there, but also like keeping the integrity of my hair was a big deal. And I like, I've seen your work and I saw what you were doing for everyone else. And I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. I trust her. It's all hair. It grows back. Time for the adventure. Let's go. The funny thing was, is when she came down here, cause the last time I had saw her, you know, I had actually did her hair last time in Boston, but we just like gave her a money piece, which is like a nice block of color in the front of like vibrant red. Cause her hair at the time was like this gorgeous, you know, burgundy blood red. And she lifted no problem. And for those of you who don't do hair, lifting red and black out of hair usually is not that easy, but she, she was fine. So I was like, I got this. I'm totally fine. It's going to be great. And she comes to San Diego and I was like, why is your hair green? Like, <laughs> I, I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. I know there's just been a lot of color in my hair in the last two years. So, you know, there was a bit of a mystery for us to uncover. 100%. And you guys, I will actually post, I have an entire video. It's three minutes long and it is the consultation before and after of me doing Joy's hair. And I will be definitely posting that during the week that we definitely post this. So you guys can see what we went through because the funny thing was, was that this whole process took three days and joy came down here for three and a half days. Cause we were like, Oh, we'll get it done in two. It'll be a cinch. No, no. And joy took it like a champ. <laughs> I mean, we were still sewing in my extensions, like less than an hour to get to the airport. Oh yeah. But we did it, and it looks beautiful. So, you know, no regrets. No. And it's the funny thing is, is that I, I even learned from that. I've been doing hair for 14 years and experiences I have with joy's hair will forever be burned in my brain forever. <laughs> great learning opportunity. No, I know. So I want to bring it back to what you were talking about. You know, you're doing panels for Sinners <laughs> and Stardust. Um, you know, I think it's very awesome that in the very beginning when we couldn't really talk about a lot of stuff with Sinners and we didn't really know like how panels were going to work, you took it by the bullhorns, dude, and just were like, I got this. I got this. <laughs> so how's yeah. been your experience? So how's it been? It's been really great so far. Like I was able to bring some of my like Comic-Con cosplay experience where I've done a lot of paneling and then transition it to the book world. So like coming up with fun panels for all of the attendees, but also panels that would be fun and engaging for our authors to be a part of has been really cool. And that level of collaboration and now like looking for questions that I definitely want to hear from like our attendees. What are things they're dying to hear? And it's just, I love panels because they're live. And yeah. so you get that authentic experience with your authors and things like you're never going to see anywhere else. And that makes like the whole convention process just so much more authentic and genuine being live in the moment. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I, I'm really excited. Like I, the four of us are going to be running around like crazy women, you know, on the day of the event. But when we finally got to see like where the panels were going to be, oh, it was so beautiful. So beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, the hotel space and the convention space, it, it's gorgeous. It's going to be set up so well and it's going to be comfortable and we're not going to be packed in and jammed tight. It's just, it, it's a great location. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. And I, I think the cool thing is, is that, you know, with you running panels, like it's so cool because when we were first talking about panels, like I, I, 
never really been to a panel except for hair and makeup. So like, I was just like, I'm so curious on how this is going to go, but you know, uh, some of my friends are actually going to be doing panels and I connected them with joy and I'm so excited for people to hear their story. And I think it's just going to be so fun. I, I just, I literally was recording a like tour video for the, for the volunteers last night. And I got even more excited because I was like, "There, everyone is going to freak out when they get to see the panel rooms because that backdrop in the main panel room, oh, it's yeah, so pretty. <laughs> it's it's just it's set up so well. It's like the rooms were designed specifically for that, mm -hmm. and I just can't wait to like have everybody in there and get to hear and ask their questions. I think it's just going to be such a unique experience. Oh, one thousand percent. Um, one of the coolest things that probably happened at the hotel for me and joy, um, was this was on our last day there. And we were, you know, I know you guys have seen that trend on TikTok where people are like, we're sinners and stardust. Of course we have da, 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 da. Or it's like, you know, we're married, we're this, we're that. And we, you know, whatever you guys get it. But, um, I'll put a little video right here so you guys can see joy do hers. <laughs> I will give you guys a little, little preview. We're Sinners and Stardust. Of course our venue has clean, safe, filtered drinking water on every floor. Um, so basically we didn't realize it because Bethany is so on top of things. We've talked about this. Bethany is like, she's got it down, right? And she checked us out and we were still filming, but we didn't have a key card. So <laughs> the key card situation at the hotel is very strict. Like you cannot do anything in that hotel without a key card. Yeah, it was it was interesting, but I mean we got creative. You yes, yes. get us the card. So yep, we got the card. Um, I said I left my charger and he gave me the card and he just kind of looked at me like, ma'am. And uh, because basically we wanted to show you guys some really cool stuff. You'll see some videos, but like the way the hotel is set up is when you get off the elevators at the mezzanine, you can see right into registration. And so I was like, Joy, we gotta book it. We gotta go down the stairs the other way. I don't want him to see me. We still gotta go film down there. Like it was kind of like a mission, and Joy was just like, Jesus Christ, Fred. I'm like, well, it's me. Hey, you know, mission successful though. We got it all done. Oh, one thousand percent. It was awesome. Well, we had a great time in Boston, you guys. I mean, you had a great time, right, Joy? Yeah, it was great. Um, I definitely want to show a picture of Joy looking like a mafiosa. Um, she she looked amazing the whole weekend. And I was just like, I'm just cold. And she just looks so good. It's not fair. <laughs> you know, I it's cold where I'm from. You know, you got to learn how to how to be cute in the cold. And I know. We're a mob wife, right? I'm going to execute on the aesthetic. So yes. I brought you it. You say it's cold. Where are you at? People probably don't know. Uh, so I am pretty close to Portland. Um, so like not like snow cold, but it is always raining and it is very windy and it is wet. So it is a wet kind of cold. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes, my center's merch is cute, but I'm also freezing and that's why I'm wearing <laughs> and a crew neck in the house. No. Yeah. I, I, today was 78 degrees in San Diego. It was beautiful. Mm, beautiful. It was 35. <laughs> raining. Cute. <laughs> Oh yeah. It's, it's a constant struggle. I had to ask joy where she lives. Cause every time me and Jen talk about it, it's always like Portland, Seattle. She's like somewhere in there. Like I am never in the middle. I technically live in Washington. I live closer to Portland than I do to Seattle. It's, it's fine. Just the PNW. We just go with that. And it's great. It's perfect. It's 
Perfect. All right, you guys. So we are super excited to have Joy here with us today. And we are going to be interviewing an amazing author. Joy, who are we interviewing today? We are interviewing Miss Catherine Ann Kingsley. Yes. And she, she, she writes some stuff. So I'm super excited about it. So please welcome Miss Catherine Ann Kingsley. Well, I'm Red. It's very nice to meet you. Wonderful to meet you. Hi, I'm Joy. Hi. So we are super stoked to have you. Um, the one thing I always forget to do is I always constantly forget to put my, because my computer's on do not disturb, but I always forget to put my phone. And then like, of course, my husband's like, what are you doing in there? You're so loud. I'm like, don't message me. Yeah. I've, I've warned my husband, but he's used to radio appearances. So he gets it. Um, oh, that's cool. He's the creative director of the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum, and they just had their 250th uh, reenactment, like the 250th anniversary of the event. So he had 15,000 people down at the waterfront. He was doing publicity events all year. So he's like, oh, yeah, it's no big for me. Have fun. Hope the TV's not too loud. (laughs) I mean, that's just so cool. Like, that's why I absolutely love doing these podcasts, just because I've learned so many cool tidbits about authors that I'm like, no way. So, Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, you have an amazing website. We read it. We loved it. And just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I um, am probably best known for writing villain romance, the sort of villain gets the girl kind of story, Uh, not a misunderstood bad boy, not someone who can be saved through the power of love, but someone who the the female main character has to sort of adjust her morals to sort of fit along with. So I've done everything from Dracula to Eldritch horrors to, you know, all sorts of crazy characters from Val Roy and Unseelie Prince, you know, bent out for world domination uh, to actually world domination is kind of a common theme between my guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I, I, I love that. I mean, we all love a a broody male character. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So with that being said, like who was your first author or book that you fell in love with? The first one I can remember falling in love with is actually what sort of sparked my love for high fantasy, uh, would be the Dragonlance series, uh, written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Uh, The character of Raceland, the sort of anti-hero, sort of like broody, ends up being a villain for the second trilogy, uh, was really always stood out in my mind as being one of the most interesting characters of the bunch. Um, and when I was reading this question, I was like, oh, also the Black Jewels trilogy by Anne Bishop, who I think probably paved the way for a lot of dark fantasy and dark romance authors. Because uh, hers, I think, was one of the first trilogy that I can really remember going mainstream that sort of branched that high fantasy, but something's not quite right here style of romance. No, yeah, I. that's the one thing I love about interviewing authors is that they give me such great recommendations. Glad I could help. <laughs> I love that. So I started reading Masters of, or The Masters of Under, right? And that was your first series. Was yeah. that the first story you ever wrote about or did you have other stories that maybe were never published that you wrote? So The Masks of Under was definitely the first story I ever put out in the public. Um, and it kind of has an interesting history. Uh, It was first released on a website called Royal Road, um, which is mostly for lit RPG style stories. And the people in the forums were like, oh, this is Anne Rice. It has to be Anne Rice. We need to dox her and figure out who's writing this. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, thank you. 
but I'm not. And they were all trying to figure out who was the real author that was masquerading as a website author. And I was like, maybe I can make a go at this. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I actually uh, decided to go and publish it online uh, and go for, you know, more traditional and self-publishing veins. But prior to that, Believe it or not, uh, I wrote Castlevania fan fiction. That was the oh first thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. I, uh, one of my, the most formative pieces of media in my life was Castlevania Symphony of the Night on PlayStation. And I played the absolute snot out of that game. And I both <laughs> loved Dracula and Alucard and all of the surrounding characters. So after that, when I started writing stories, they were all based in Castlevania land. Um, and that's where some of my original fans are still hailing from, is like from those works. I've known them for 15 years now. Um, but then when you start writing fan fiction, you use somebody else's world building as the crutch that lets you sort of tell your stories, learn how to write, learn how to compose a narrative. And then I realized I was spending so much time rebuilding and changing the rules around the original piece of work that I was like, oh, if I just change one thing, it's my own piece of work now. I'm so removed from that original IP. And that's when I started to branch off and started exploring, you know, okay, so what happens when I take the training wheels off? And I start, you know, writing my own worlds for a change. But that's, oh, wow. that's definitely where the inspiration came from. <laughs> it's a lot, of, I think if you asked a couple of authors, I think it's fairly common to have tried writing in somebody else's world. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you get into the world of movies and video games, there's the concept of filing the serial numbers off, which is literally when you want to write a story, but you don't, you can't set it in Twilight. So you just file the serial numbers off and release it as a, you know, modern contemporary dark romance. <laughs> Cheers. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, so when you're not writing, what are some of the like favorite things that you, that you do when you're, when you're uh, well, I spent a decade of my life building and designing for immersive entertainment. Um, so think escape rooms on steroids, um, as if they were produced by universal studios, you walk into a movie set and a game plays around you. Um, and there I was set designer. I was lighting designer, script writer. I did all the music. I did all of the game design. Um, we had a small team working with us. And so I learned how to do a lot of that by building animatronics in my spare time. So, um, this is a, we, we live in a 300 year old home, um, in Hanover and we have a mural that I'm painting in the hallway. Um, and then because I do video game design for a living, I spend a lot of my free time also playing the newest thing and picking up the next game and giving it a whirl. Um, so yeah, I'm never not busy. <laughs> I find ways to entertain myself. When did you decide to make writing your passion and how long have you been writing for? I would say I've been writing for 10 to 15 years of my life, maybe half of my life. Um, casually writing as a teenager, trying my hand in fiction, I always was in a book. Um, I was reading at a fairly higher level than I was in grade school. And so I was always picking up the next fiction work and I churned through them one after the other. So I always had an attraction to fiction, but it wasn't until I would say the last six or seven years that I really buckled down and made a go at it. And I had a very creative job. I had a job that I could do set design and all sorts of fun things, but it was always with a group and it was always with people 
managing me and saying yes or no and all the decisions I made. So what drew me to writing is it's kind of a solitary project. You write the story. Other people can do the book covers and the blurb on the back and help you market it, but the story is you and yours. And so for better or worse, all of the decisions that happen in a story are mine. And so it kind of gave me this little microcosm of, I can control everything that happens in this bubble. And so that's what really drew me to it uh, at that point in my life was I was like, I've got an itch to scratch and I'm going to, you know, tell a cool story um, and see if people like it. And luckily I have a, I have a moderate audience that seems to really love what I do. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. This, yours is going to be the first convention I really attend. And I'm like, Hmm. Defcon 2 terrified. <laughs> that is the same across the board. I'm telling you, every single author that we've talked to, that is the same exact reaction. They're literally like, I'm just going to hide under the table. It's totally fine. Like, I'll just have a sock puppet. <laughs> so speaking There's of events and all those conventions, um, especially so excited to have you with Sinners and Stardust. Uh, are you doing any other conventions or author signings this year? The only other event I'm attending this year um, is the, uh, May 18th, for those who are in Massachusetts, the Ashland, Massachusetts Library is doing a romance convention. Oh, it's small. Ooh. It's like one day. It's for four hours. There's going to be about a dozen authors. And uh, yeah, so I'll be there. They, they contacted me because I'm local and they're like, hi, we, we like your books. And I was like, do, do you know what I write? And they're like, yes. I'm like, all right. I'll <laughs> or do you <laughs> know what you're getting into? Speaking of what you write, you have 13 different series, is that right? Yes, that are public at this point in time. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm up to 15 total, but two oh, of them are still being worked on. So do you have a favorite? Is there one that like you just the world was so immersive that you loved or certain characters in that world? Like I know it's hard as an author probably to pick your favorite, but do you have one? Oh, can I pick two? Oh, right. All right. So Masks of Under, Under, sorry, Masks of Under is definitely tied for first place. It was the first story that I published. Aeon, the main villain, is uh, a piece of work. He's a lot of fun. Um, I'm actually in the process of editing and republishing those books. I'm getting the rights back from the original publisher and I'm putting in deleted scenes. Uh, it was my first series to go out there. And so I got gun shy and edited out of, out all of the sex scenes. And now I don't care that shame is dead. So the scenes are going back in. Um, and so that will be coming out later this year in two chunks of three. Um, but tied with that, I think would have to be Harrow Fair, which is my Dark Circus series. Um, the main villain, Simon. If anybody who's watching this has seen Has Been Hotel and you liked Alistair, you want to read Harrow Fair um, because it, he, that guy is basically the main character. Um, I was watching and I was like, wait a minute. One of our members in the Dark Collective is going to lose her mind because she just watched Has Been Hotel and she binged it and watched the whole series and then immediately started rewatching it because she loved it. This Alistair is, I think, my favorite character when I was watching it. I was like, this this looks familiar. Down to the red and black color scheme. I was like, well, all right, archetypes. Cheers. <laughs> um, but Circus is also near and dear to my heart. I have a bunch of vintage po portraits also of my family who's been in the circus since the vaudeville era so my two great aunts and my grandmother all traveled with the circus 
Um, and so circus has really been a part of my family for, you know, 150 years. And I've got screwed up knees. I can't travel with the circus. So I was like, well, how do I pay homage to that part of my family? And I was like, I'm going to write a creepy circus uh, five-parter. And uh, I think it's probably one of my favorites. So Honestly, I never thought that I would be into dark circus. Um, just because, like, that is a very specific genre, I feel, in my opinion. And But then I stumbled upon a show years ago. And I have now probably seen it seven times over. And it was called Carnival. And yep. it... It, it literally made me realize like, do, do I like dark circus? And then American horror story came out with, mm -hmm. you know, the, the circus, up, the circus season and everyone hated it. I loved it. I, I it was so it. good. I absolutely I adored it. If you, there's a really uh, old classic movie called um, oh, the other, I think it was others or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's an old sideshow movie. It's filmed in black and white. It actually has some of the people who were known as the pinheads in the sideshow oh, yeah. uh, world. And basically this pretty aerialist pulls one over on one of the sideshow people. And that's where the goobble gobble, goobble gobble, one of us thing comes from. Oh. Um, and so it's this really classic piece of, uh, of movie literature. And I'm blanking on the name i'm sure You're i'm not totally getting it right. fine um but it's a it's a great piece of film and that's a lot of what that american horror story that story that they were cribbing was like person from the outside comes in doesn't quite understand the family and then things go haywire yeah no, um, exactly so. well I talking about it. your family and circus and you know how you've written that into your books do you write yourself into any of your characters? Uh, no, I really try not to do that. Um, there's only one character that I could say like, okay, yes, that's me. Mm -hmm. And in Masks of Under, there is uh, Lydia in later books ends up with a sidekick named Q, who's this ghostly disembodied snake monster that just sits there and snarks at her in bold letters like the entire time. And that is as close to an author insert as anyone's ever going to get out of me. That is 100% <laughs> me commenting at my character being like, what are you doing, dumbass, in those exact words in the story. And so that was, I think, about as indulgent as I get with uh, allowing, I mean, all characters you write are a part of, that's my main coon, sorry. So I really try not to, you know, indulge myself by putting myself in the book too much, but that level of snark, that would be me. It's like <laughs> such a fun character and every time that he's on, or you just or feel like waiting for him to just slither up and just like pop out of his <laughs> I love how he likes to scare the other characters. Or yes. like, <laughs> from him and I'm just like, oh, I just, I love this. Like the little snarkiness of him, he's such a fun character. It was, it was great because it allowed me a moment to poke fun at my own characters. Like, he picks on Aeon, who's this, like, untouchable, unflappable villain. And he starts just cracking jokes at him and bringing him down a notch. And that was, in a way, me making fun of the person I was also writing. <laughs> it's a little deranged when you get into it. It's not deranged <laughs> at all. What are you talking about? It's so perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah. I just it's have... An entire cacophony of characters in my head that will bicker with each other until I put them down on paper. Totally normal. <laughs> I absolutely love the word cacophony. I don't hear it enough. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> um, so what are some other authors that you would just geek out over if you met them? Or have you already met some authors that you were just so excited to meet? 
I think one of the authors I'm looking forward to meeting the most. So I read a lot of sci-fi romance. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know what gravitates me towards that genre that I don't write in, but I, I always read a ton of. And I think they're two of the nicest people in the world is Tiffany Roberts. They're a wife and a husband duo. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll know them from the Ensnared series and a bunch yep. of like really awesome sci-fi series. They are also the two nicest human beings in the world. Um, and when I got started writing in romance and, you know, tipping my toe in the water of like what it's like to be a self-published author, they really took me under their wing and they was like, Hey, you know, this cover that you have, you could probably be better to rework it this way. And they were just such a welcoming presence in an otherwise incredibly intimidating field. Um, and I've never gotten to meet them in real life. I really look forward to that day because I owe them both a hug. Um, the other person who I was super excited to meet, who's also a good friend of mine, is uh, Lillian Lark, yes. who writes uh, the sort of like the monster bathhouse series, uh, Deceived by the Gargoyles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is also, again, one of the sweetest people you could ever meet in your life. Um, we had the chance to meet up at an event in Houston last year, and we were just like on a mission to find brisket. And so she, we just like hung out the whole time. And yeah, sci-fi authors, some of the nicest people you could ever meet. All right. So what inspired you to write monster romance, you know, paranormal stuff like that? I have always, what actually attracted me most to the genre was villains. Like those are my true love is like, I've always been interested in the character in the series that seems to be the most interesting but never really gets to be the center of attention. And their lives are never really explored. Like you get these characters like Dracula, that's like, cool, the story is named after him, ostensibly about him, but you never really get to see anything from his point of view or really experience the world as he experiences it. He's just the big freaky monster. So I was always drawn to those characters, to, you know, the supervillains of Batman and, you know, the Marvel comic series, because they were always more interesting. And so when I started writing, I was always drawn to trying to tell their stories and trying to tell the world from their point of view, because nobody wakes up the villain of their own life story. These people, Dracula wakes up and completely thinks he's a good guy doing things that he's entitled to do and everybody else just has him wrong. And it's like, okay, well, what happens if we put them in a scenario where they have to think about the world differently or a, a, a woman who looks at these people and tries to see them for who they are as they are without trying to excuse them or change them in any way? Um, so it's it's really been an interesting experience. I generally start with the dude. I start with the villain okay. and I kind of design him a little bit like a pro wrestler. I'm like, what's his gimmick? <laughs> no, literally. All of my guys have a color. Like, look at the artwork I draw for people. They all have a primary color. So I start with, like, what color is this guy? Who is he? What is his gimmick? What is his shtick? And then you lean into that. And I sort of design the female character around the male character. So it's like, okay, so who would exist that would make this guy suddenly look at the world differently? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then I end up building the whole ass world around them and all of the side characters and side stories and all of that. But oh, I yeah. love that. Well, like perspective into how you write. Is there something you wish you would have known when you started your author journey? Oh, Lordy. So much about <laughs> marketing. <laughs> 
how to title things. The fact that I love to do my own cover art, but my cover art is not the most marketable. And sometimes there are parts of your project you should just accept like you are not the expert on. Um, and I think, honestly, though, the piece of information, I get a lot of people who contact me being like, I want to be an author. How did you do it? Like, tell me how to become an author. And my biggest number one warning, and this goes especially, especially for people who write in dark romance, brace yourself for those reviews because they are going to hurt the first few times. And a lot of people get really vicious. They misread the work. There's no point, and there's no point arguing with them or engaging with them because that's what they're looking for. And you kind of have to come up with this thick skin of just like, I'm sorry you didn't like my books moving on and just write the next one. And that was incredibly hard for me. The first three or four years I wrote every one star review was another notch in the pole of I should give up writing. Oh, wow. And it was to the point where certain emails I would get of just like straight up hate mail would be another like, should I just give up? Like, is this garbage? Is this trash? And it's been the support of the fans. It's been the support of my people on my discord that have kept me going. And so when I talk to new authors, I say like, hey, find your support system. Find the person who's going to read all of the reviews on Goodreads. Dear God, bless those people. And find the ones that are actually worth reading and just forget everything else. Um, because a lot of times, especially in the world of the internet, people forget that... Sorry, my uh, agent, the other cat, just walked by. Um, people forget we're also humans, right? Like, yeah. we're not just a name on Amazon. When you tell me in an email that you want me to go die in a fire and eat a bag of dicks. Like Jesus. that's an actual person you're writing to. So there's a little bit of that, that I feel like I have to brace people for. And I wish someone had sat me down and was like, okay, you're about to become semi-public. Just, just hold on kiddo. <laughs> it's almost you like, you know, you create it. your characters to look like pro wrestlers and you should just have a pro wrestler read your emails for you. And exactly. Just be like, give him the hammer. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> um, so yeah, I watched pro wrestling religiously up until about you know, 2000. No, so. yeah. And I, I agree with you when, you know, reviews and comments and stuff, it shouldn't diminish you. Like, first of all, thank you so much for not giving up because we absolutely love your work. You're fantastic. Um, but screw them. They can go fuck off. So it's really hard to get through the reviews and the comments and stuff like that. But at this, at a different side of the spectrum, getting an acknowledgement from you to fans probably makes them absolutely lose their mind you know and i i try to respond to literally every email that i get oh that's amazing and it, sometimes it takes me a couple of months but i try to churn through the and like i try to say hello and thank you to every single person because again i'm just i'm just a human i'm i'm not an author i just tell silly stories and people <laughs> seem to like them and so it's like this whole funny reaction where they're super excited to meet me and i'm super excited to meet them and we're both afraid <laughs> <laughs> which actually is how i got my current job um oh, really? so i write now for a game called warframe which is a 10-year running mmorpg mm -hmm. I got the job because the creative director reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hi, I'm a huge fan of your books. Would you like to come to write for me? And I was like, wow, the answer is yes, but what the hell is happening? So yeah, she just, she just reached out to me. I was like, Hey, are you this author? Sorry if you're not, but if you are, do you want to talk? I said, yes. <laughs> uh, 
I actually wrote a, a, a foreword to one of my upcoming books where I like basically addressed my audience that I'm like, if you've reached this point, you've read at least this series or a couple of my other works. And I literally would not have the job I have now if it weren't for the people who read my books. I love that. And so I owe where I am now to the people who've read and supported me and have joined the discord or not, or just like enjoyed my books and gone on with their lives. And so it's basically a huge thank you to them of like, people think that it's my job as an author to influence the audience. Mm -hmm. the, the, the street goes both ways. No. Yeah. 100%. And I, I think that I love how much you love them. And I think that's something that should never go away as the author to understand, or even the creator, it doesn't matter what the genre or the field is just appreciate the people that help you get there. Yeah. Even if I do have a water bottle that says reader tears on it for a good reason. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. I, I got a different water bottle for this podcast because I had all the craziest stickers on my other one. And I was like, <laughs> probably shouldn't have that on the podcast. <laughs> oh details. So it sounds like you've got a lot of different life experiences. And I was reading your about me on the website. And so I have to ask you this question. What was it like using a bullwhip on the streets of Boston as an undead? <laughs> Oh, okay. So there's backstory that goes with this. Um, so uh, I used to work in tourism in Boston. So I know the streets of Boston very well. And I used to work at the ghost tour in Boston, one of the big ones called Ghosts and Gravestones. It's still in, still in operation. They're the big black trolleys with the purple undercarriage lights. And when you work there, you're encouraged to come up with a character. Um, it's actually where my, I met my husband. He played an undead sailor. Um, and because I had my circus background, I decided to play a circus ringmaster. So I was like, well, I need a bullwhip. I'm a ringmaster. But this was like before the age of YouTube videos and YouTube tutorials. So I had to teach myself how to use a bullwhip out of a book in the dark in, in the Granary Burying Ground in Boston at like nine o'clock at night. Oh my gosh. So I'm surrounded by revolutionary war dead trying to teach myself how to use a bullwhip and constantly smacking myself in the face with it. Um, pain is a great teacher. Uh, once you've smacked yourself in the face with something, you learn real fast not how to do that again. So I, I have gotten really good with it, um, but I spent like six or seven years practicing it. Um, and it was always really useful to scare off the uh, people strung out on drugs who would come to harass your tour in the middle of the night um, or any sorts of the other shenanigans that happens in Boston when you're out there at 1130 on the streets and you're dressed like a freak. Um, but it was also really useful for jump scares. I loved it. I used oh, to terrorize the crowd. And because you're breaking the sound barrier, like the sound of a bullwhip going off is the sound of the end of the whip going faster than the speed of sound. Um, so you're making tiny little sonic booms when you're doing that. And uh, <laughs> so, all right, here's the best story. Uh, so I used to hang out in the granary burying ground at night. So when you take the tour, there are um, like two actors. There's the one that takes you around on the trolley. And then the trolley actor puts the group into the second burying ground and says, and locks the door behind them and says, see you in the morning suckers, bye, and runs away laughing. That's like the only break that person gets. 
That's when the secondary actor in the Granary Bearing Ground takes over, does a jump scare, gives them a tour of that one bearing ground where the other person gets a glass of water and uses the bathroom or whatever, and then there's another handoff and that person goes. So you're just hanging out in the granary for like eight hours by yourself in the dark in, in, in a bearing ground. So occasionally kids would jump the fence to do drugs. <laughs> I am dressed like an undead circus ringmaster. I'm in black and purple. I've got a corset. I've got a bull whip. I've got the whole gear. And I would always let them get in, light their bong, get settled a little bit, let them spend 45 minutes, let them sit in, right? And I would just tiptoe up to them, really good at sneaking through burying grounds. And I would creep up, stand up over them, and just crack the bull whip over their heads and start <laughs> shouting. <laughs> That's one section. I've had people relieve themselves out of fear. Oh. Uh, one, one person who tried to jump back over the fence got his pants stuck and pantsed himself as he hit the sidewalk. His pants were still on the fence. He was not. Uh, had one person pass out and his friends quick just went, leave him. He's dead. And just ran. <laughs> So I was left with this dude, like, dazed on the floor, and I was just, like, poking him until he woke up, and I was like, your friends are a-holes. <laughs> you should go. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, well, first so, of all, that entire story will be made into clips, because that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Tourism in Boston is a whole ass another world. <laughs> it's a good time. So you talk about all this really fun, like fantasy stuff. You've also already kind of talked about your gaming stuff. So do you feel like your skills as a writer has influenced your career and your experience in the gaming world? Yes, a hundred percent. And I'll, I'll actually even say like, I'll ignore my experience as a writer in a writing job. That's two one-to-one. -one. Okay. But in the other design work that I've done with games, both in level design and UX and all of that, it's about, I think it's about making sure that you're giving the audience the experience you expect them to have. So it's very easy, and I've run into this once, sort of infamously as an author, where I wrote a scene that affected people in a way that I didn't intend. Okay. And I've written a lot of really horrifying scenes. Like Valroy and the Unseelie Prince skins a kid alive to turn him into a goblin. Like, that was written on purpose. Uh, one of my female Marian characters removes a tattoo off of her arm with an exacto knife in her kitchen. That was written on purpose. But when you write something or you design something that gives somebody the wrong experience or the unintended experience, that is when you have something to learn as a designer or an artist or a writer. Because it's not just about oh, I screwed that up, I'm going to go fix it. It's, it's about how did I make this mistake? What led to this issue? And I have a twofer, a, a, a duet that I wrote called The Impossible Julian Strand. And it's about an undead magician who is probably the most problematic person I've ever written. He is actually kind of a creeper. Um, but he's abusive, he's gaslighting, he's all of the fun things you love in a dark romance on page that you would absolutely hate in an actual human being. So he does all of these horrible things. He possesses a kid and makes him hang himself. He throws her into a body pit and only goes to get her after she's hyperventilated from screaming. Everyone was fine with that. <laughs> of course. 
until the climax of the story where he slapped her. And at that moment, he has a moment, he reflects on, suddenly realizes, I am my abusive father. I am the thing that I hated. And that's what changes his character and his point of view. And he suddenly goes, this is all, I've been in the wrong. I'm going to let you go to make your own decision. My readers lost their effing minds. <laughs> I got so much hate mail about that slap. The murder was totally fine. The possession forced suicide. Is he still hot? Doesn't matter. So, but the slap drove people over the edge there and people were reacting to it in a way that I didn't intend. So I went back and edited it out and just had him like pull his head at the last second because that wasn't an unintentional moment where I was giving people a sense of realism to the story and a sense of realism to the character and the fiction that suddenly brought it into focus. And it was suddenly like, oh, the other things that the guy did are fantasy. Your guy you're dating isn't going to possess some other dude and hang him. Like, that's not a thing that happens in our real world. So they were fine with it because it was fiction, because it was fantasy and paranormal. The moment I did something where I wrote a character performing abuse that anybody could do, mm -hmm. people reacted really poorly to that. Yeah. And that was a moment where I sort of had to take a step back and go, oh, oh, I get it now. So it was a real learning experience for me as an author of what kind of lines I can cross and which ones I have to leave alone. Oh. Um, and so when people read my books, they're in it for the fantasy of the villain. Mm -hmm. Not for the asshole you dated as a 21-year-old. <laughs> we all had that. <laughs> yeah. So... It was, it's about writing like ridiculously fake moments are totally cool. Um, but real moments like that, that are actually screwed up, my readers don't go for. So I have to, you know, pay attention to that going forward. I yeah. actually never heard it put in that perspective. And that literally makes so much sense. Amazing. It's like you can watch Game of Thrones and watch all of the people like brutally murder each other. And you're like, great, popcorn. But if you watch a World War II documentary, it hits mm -hmm. different, you it know, like different. it's... It's that exact split between fantasy violence and could be real violence. Nice. Um, so I try to keep it in the fantasy world. So. Yes. All right. So what is one thing you are most looking forward for uh, at Sinners and Stardust this year? I've never met any of my fans in person. I oh am, I, it will be my first real experience shaking hands with people who've read my books. Um, and so I'm, I've read, I've met other authors and I, but other than this, this is going to be like my first public outing as an author. So I'm really excited to just sort of experience the crowd. That is um, so cool. Get to meet people. <laughs> oh my God. That's so exciting. I love that for you. And I can't wait to watch it happen. Just being like, <laughs> I, is she going to hide? Uh, <laughs> I'm really, it, it comes from tourism. I'm good at putting on a show and good. then I will run for my life. <laughs> you gonna, got like an hour and a half out of me and then I'm going to go hide in my hotel room. <laughs> we're going to find her in the quiet room in a corner. Just, just like just, silent. <sighs> what have I done? <laughs> Questioning all of my life choices. <laughs> all right, Miss Catherine N. Kingsley. Thank you so much for being here on behalf of the Dark Collective podcast from myself. Thank you so much. We loved it. It was wonderful to meet you. I appreciate the time you took with us. This has been a blast.
Oh, awesome. All right, you guys. So make sure to tune in to the Dark Collective podcast every Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you go to the link in our bio on Instagram at the Dark Collective podcast, you can listen to amazing authors just like Catherine Ann Kingsley. And make sure to click that link and you guys can see us on all different platforms and podcasts. So thanks, you guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.